now to our time in God's Word, and we will do that by heading to Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. Now, a few things. Uh, We mentioned to you the last week or two that this morning we welcome our elementary school kids into the room. Uh, Usually they have classes of their own, but today they're welcomed here to give all of our staff and teachers a, a, a nice break. Uh, Those classes will return next week. On the days that we do that, I typically shift my style just a bit, hence the cool table of stuff next to me, all right? I don't normally preach this way. Uh, You'll know why soon, but I brought stuff to help illustrate as I go, all right? Now, I've done this before, and often I have as many comments from adults as I have from kids, Um, we were helping the kids pay attention, Uh, but really, honestly, it's the adults. So we'll see how that goes. Um, but just be aware if you're a guest with us, uh, that you think, man, that's kind of weird. He brings tables of stuff. No, I don't usually do that. That's just today and it'll be fine. Uh, one other little caveat I'll throw you about some of these. These things are intended to illustrate the different things I'm going to say today. For some of them, the connection is obvious. For others, it will take a little bit of imagination, and you'll just have to work with me on this, okay? Um, People have eyed my squirrel up here and said, really? It's like, you know, come on, Um, help me out here. We're talking to children. So there we go. Hebrews 13 follows on the heels of a major theological presentation. The book of Hebrews points us to Christ, as we have said, in all of his beauty, in all of his roles or offices as prophet, priest, and king. And we are are taken to a place of, of, of seeing Christ for who he is. Now, theology is always intended to be highly practical, okay? Sometimes people say, well, we do a lot of theology, but let's get practical, like it's something new. It shouldn't be. In the Bible, they go together. Good theology should, should live, okay? It should live and should look like something. And so you come to Hebrews 13, and that's what the writer is doing. He's describing what it should look like. Now, to help us think about it, I'm using a phrase, uh, as I have mentioned under the section on your sermon notes called text and context. I, I reference Titus 2.10, where there is a phrase that the Apostle Paul uses as he's describing relationships between people in God's family, the way it ought to work, and and he, he uses the phrase that it would adorn the gospel. And that's always caught my attention, adorning the gospel or making making something beautiful or or really, as it would apply to the gospel of Jesus, highlighting the beauty that is there. Here's the point. Um, God intends that, that, that people of faith, people who know Jesus, by their life and their words and their attitudes, would highlight the beauty of the gospel, not cover it up. And sometimes that happens when God's people are, are well, less than pleasant, kind of cranky, snarky, um, you know, that. And it doesn't beautify the gospel. And so that's the call. That's the umbrella that I'm using today 
Because I think that's the the writer's point. So I'm going to borrow Paul's phrase from Titus 2 of adorning the gospel and and use that uh, for for our purpose here today. I don't think it's too big of a jump. To help us get started with that theme and my table, I want to grab a couple of things first. These are not in order right now. And what I'm going to be doing is lining them up in order. And it's your task to kind of guess which ones go next. Okay? So that's what will keep you occupied and engaged throughout the morning. So I'm going to start with this, which is my handy-dandy little mirror. And I'll try to set it over here in a way that it doesn't reflect light directly into anyone's eyes. Although I could. Couldn't I? There. But I won't. So... So this is going to remind us of two things. By the time I'm done, you'll be able to think your way down the table and, and, and be aware of each of the key issues I want to say something about. So, uh, Amir, all of you, almost all of you, looked in a mirror this morning to adorn basically what you have to work with. I'm sure you all did. You know what I'm saying. Uh, <laughs> you looked in a the mirror. They're, they're, they're everywhere. I mean, they're in the, in the restrooms for a reason. So you can kind of go in there and go, eh, and I don't think so. You probably did that this morning. So that's one reminder that this mirror will do. It's to remind us of our overall theme of adorning the gospel. That's what we're talking about. It also is a reminder uh, that in the book of James, the word of God is, is identified as a mirror, isn't it? We're to look intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty. We're to look at the word of God and see what we're really like because the word of God exposes things deep in us. So I'm going to put this mirror right here as a reminder, okay? So you'll be able to think your way down. I'm also going to grab, okay, this guy. This is a little lantern type thing. All this is just to get us started here today, get a rhythm going. Um, This is from my house. It's in one of the windows And for us today, this is going to remind us of Psalm 119, about why we preach and study the Word of God. Now, the Word of God is a a light and a lamp, isn't it? It's a light to our feet, a, a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. Without the Word of God, we wouldn't know the living God. We wouldn't we wouldn't know how to get to heaven. So here at Sunset Bible Church, we routinely, Sunday mornings, we preach from the Word of God, we teach in our classes, we point people to the, the Word of God, which leads us, is the Spirit of God enables us, to the person of God himself and Jesus, our Savior. So, so the mirror adorning the gospel and looking at the intent, intently at the law of liberty and the Word of God and its function for us. Okay, that's what I'm going to do all morning long, okay, with all the rest of these things. But I want to pray that God would help us because as we move through the different elements that I'm going to comment on very briefly and then land at, at communion, all of these are painting a picture. They're reminding us of something. And I want us to be able to think carefully through this. We'll need God's help with this. So would you join me in, in praying and asking for that help? Father, I thank you for each person who's come this morning, throughout the morning. And I'm, I'm so grateful for your presence among us. We count on the work of the Spirit of God. We, we, just, we just can't affect life change, either in behavior or in affections. We can't do it. That's your property, your work. And so again, we ask it of you, that you would use the word of God and enliven it to our hearts and allow us to hear it and understand it and love it and then to respond in faith. So do that. We are asking it of you in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So Hebrews 13 then, verses 1 through 9, that's the text. I want to read it right now, and I'm just going to start working right through seven different ways that our lives should adorn the gospel, all right? That's, that's how we're going to proceed here today. So Hebrews 13 then, 1 through 9, God's word. We read this, let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money, And be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, so that we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. Okay, that's where I'm going to stop for the morning. I realize in most of our texts that kind of looks like the middle of a paragraph, and on a certain level it is, but there's a shift in style that takes place with verse 10. So I'm going to stop then for the, for the morning as well, verses 1 through 9. So I want to suggest that these verses capture seven ways that our lives should adorn the gospel, all right? Very simple. I'm going to move right on through them. So first of all, verse 1, four words in the ESV, says, let brotherly love continue, and I put it under the heading, love God's people. We are to love God's people. That's an application of this wonderful teaching about Jesus here in Hebrews. So of the things on my table which could conceivably be a reminder to love God's people? Okay, I'll help you. Yeah, so seriously, people, what speaks love to you? You say, well, you can share ice cream with anybody. Yeah, I know you could, but probably more often. This is me, okay? I told you there's a stretch on some of these. Uh, This is an empty box. People remind me, it's going to melt. No, it isn't. It's empty. This is a box from last Sunday afternoon. We had a church family event to think about missions with Pastor Luke and Jessica, okay? So so I got one of the boxes out of the freezer, emptied out the remaining ice cream. Most of the remaining ice cream. (laughs) Anyway, I, I digress. But when I think about Ways that we show love. Okay, a, a gift. I, I thought about it as well because this week I was at somebody's house and yeah, man, bowl of ice cream, dryers, chocolate mint, the white ice cream without the green dye in it with the bigger chunks of chocolate. I felt loved. So when I think of Hebrews 13 verse one, let brotherly love continue, right away I think, okay, this is a good thing. Now, let me say several things about the text, Okay. The writer is not saying to his original hearers, you're not loving each other, you guys are just a mess. He's not saying that. He's saying, let it continue. It is taking place. There is love taking place. And he's urging them on in that that family relationship, urging them to do this more. 
let brotherly love continue. Now, you, you might say, um, why do we even need to say this? Isn't it obvious that we, that in the thinking church family here, brotherly love, writing to a church, wouldn't it be obvious that, that we should love each other? Well, sure, plenty of biblical admonitions to do this, but as all of us know in our biological families, come on, every now and then it's hard to love people, isn't it? Periodically, other people. No, us. It's hard sometimes to... to to respond in a loving manner. It's hard to know what loving things look like sometimes. Is this going to be loving if I do this or if I don't? What's, it's, it's complicated. It's hard. And sometimes it's that way in a church family too. So it doesn't just go without saying. So when the writer says, look at Jesus, look at his beauty, look at what Jesus has done for us. Now, let brotherly love continue. It's not like a, a whole new random topic. It's an application of of the person of Christ and his work for us on the cross that in a church family, there should be what he calls brotherly love. There should be family affection. So I I went with it with the thing of ice cream. Okay, pretty simple. Number two and verse two, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Okay, that's kind of fun to think about. Angels, wow, wow. Uh, there are stories in the Bible of people who did, in fact, entertain actual angels. You can think of Abraham and Sarah in that regard. People who, at the time, were wearing sandals and robes just like anybody else of the day, but actually were heavenly guests. Um, he's not suggesting that every clerk at the grocery store, or person at the gas station, is an angel. Most of them aren't. Okay? That's not the point. But the point of verse 2 is... Just, just like verse 1 is a reminder to let brotherly love continue. Now, don't forget to show hospitality and kindness to people who aren't necessarily in the family of God. In this case, strangers. So I'll say more about that in a minute. Um, this is the hard one. And again, I'm asking for abundant grace. Which is the element on the table that might conceivably speak of loving those who aren't God's people yet? Nope. Not it. You're not going to get it. I'm sorry. You're going to, it's going to be an embarrassing, long, awkward pause. This is my squirrel, one of, one of two that my children have given to me. Um, it's actually a doorstop. I mean, it's a big guy, and he's, you know, he's got a, 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 a nut. I've, I've called him at times Ralphie and, uh, because, that's why, and also at times I've called him Bullet in honor of a chipmunk. Um, well, here's the reason my kids have given me uh, stuffed squirrels is because, as I tell you the details of my life, every spring as baby squirrels join the neighborhood, I feed them. I feed them peanuts. They come visit me when I'm eating breakfast and drinking my cup of coffee in the morning. They come to my deck, and they they learn. I go from tossing peanuts to them to come to come see daddy, come out of my fingers, and then they'll step into the house eventually. My cat's holding back saying, it's not nice to eat the guests. So, so, so these, this squirrel represents the, the outsider. They don't live in my house, okay? And kindness to them. So I realize other people consider them rodents and varmints. Stop that. Be kinder and feed Ralphie. Uh, so this squirrel, for me now, so the, the you know, um, adorning the gospel and the word of God is like a mirror and the word of God is a lamp to our feet and 
family love, and this is the family for those who are outside. I don't live in my house. Other people, okay? Are you with me on this? You see how this is going to work? Simple. You'll be able to work your way through the whole text with little objects lessons here in a moment. Now, a couple of things. Specifically, uh, there's a reminder here to show hospitality to strangers. That comes across different in our day than back then. Okay, we tend to think about things, very practical things, good, good things, like inviting the neighbors over or things like that, wonderful. Back in the day, it would have also included some things that we don't normally have to think about. For example, I call this a pre-Motel 6 world, where if people traveled, you didn't pull into town in your little uh, you know, camel and buggy and say, okay, what hotel should I stay in? Yeah, really not so much. Okay, pre-Motel 6, nobody left the light on for you. If you don't have a family member there who's going to let you stay, you're kind of looking around thinking, wonder how this is going to work. And there are some stories in the Bible you could think of if you know the Old Testament where there's a a person traveling and they don't have a place to stay and, and perhaps a whole complete stranger sees them and says, come to my house. I have plenty of room or enough and I have food to give you, hospitality to a stranger. Now, there's a a risk to that, and there's not a payback to that, Um, but that's often the way things were. So so when you're thinking of hospitality to strangers, you need to cast it in in a different cultural setting so that you hear it the way the original hearer would would read this text. Um, Wow, show hospitality to strangers, indeed. Some have entertained angels unawares. And I put it like this, um, you, you never know what God is up to. You never know what God is up to. Um, I, have to I have to, this is a moment of, of transparency. Sorry, um, other two hours didn't get this part. I was, I, I, I was in a setting this week in a, in a store where I was really feeling grumpy toward the lack of service. I mean, I could tell you the details. And you're kind of going, seriously, people? Come on, I'm a customer. Let's go here. And I was wearing one of those shirts that talks about Jesus. <laughs> you see any problem with that? I'm grateful that I don't have to confess to you that I, I took somebody apart. I didn't. But there was a moment as I was interacting with, with a, 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 a guest and, um, where she said, oh, let me read your shirt. I was like, oh, Go ahead. <laughs> wow. Thank you, Lord, that I didn't just hose somebody. Man. Oh, yeah. Well, love those who aren't God's people. You never know. They might see, they might recognize you and know, oh, person of God, uh, or not. Well, you never know what God is up to. You never know what God is up to. So, kindness. Kindness. Okay, moving on. Got to go quickly to cover them all. Verse 3, remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. I put it under the heading of meet practical needs because you know what it's like. Okay, prison is referenced at the end of chapter 10 also, uh, being kind to those in prison. I remind us here that in our country at the current time, I, I think most of the people who are in prison are there because they did something wrong. At other parts of the world, and at other times in history, people are in prison not because they did anything wrong, because they said something wrong, like against the government, or they had the wrong thought or believed the wrong thing. Okay? So we're not told in this particular section why these people are in prison, but I'm wanting to remind us that sometimes you could be in prison 
for being on what they call the wrong side of history. Okay? So that, that's a thing still in the world today, other, other countries more so than ours, and I don't, I don't want to go down that road too much, except to remind us that the text is, is calling us, people uh, who are people of faith, to adorn the gospel by, by remembering people who are in prison. Isn't that interesting? Uh, it doesn't really say why they're there. Remember those who are in prison though, as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated. In a sense, this is a call to justice. There's a, a renewed emphasis these days, as you know, among many of our young people, on adorning the gospel by pursuing various types of justice ministries, um, seeking to address things in this world that are broken or wrong. And there are plenty of places to start, aren't there? Now, I would remind us, of course, my only cautions to people who pursue justice ministries is the surety with which you will be disappointed. Because apart from the person of Christ, justice is an elusive thing and can't address the heart. And in this broken world, you will never, you will never fix the whole thing until the day that the King of Kings and Lord of Lords returns. Okay, so our hope is there. It doesn't mean you don't address things. It doesn't mean that. It means that you keep your expectations realistic. I, I sometimes hear people say, we're going to make sure that never happens again. And I appreciate the sentiment. And I have a hard time believing that you'll make sure it never happens again because of the brokenness of our world. And it'll happen again. And we'll hate it then too. So this, this verse, though, is a call to God's people to adorn the gospel by how they treat those, in this case specifically, those in prison, those who are mistreated. These are real things. I'm happy to see our church at various times and places be able to put their fingers into some of these areas where they're caring for things that are broken and need to see justice take place. I'm happy for that. Okay, let's see. What did I bring to help us think about that? I brought two things. This is the only one with a double. Okay, I'm going to slide these over. Okay, first, I brought the, one of the first aid kits from the uh, Welcome Center. Ordinarily, if you're at church and you need a Band-Aid, you go to the Welcome Center, they'll open up this bad boy and find one. Today, if you need a Band-Aid, come see me. I'll hook you up, all right? So this, because it's what you do, if there's an area of need, that's what I'm after here, addressing areas of need. So my first aid kit, our first aid kit, one of the many that we own here at the church, there are several for when we travel and do stuff with day camp. And then I also brought this. Anybody recognize this? Yeah, Barrel of Monkeys. Um, Some of you perhaps have played with this. Do they still sell these? I don't even know because this is not a video game. So I don't know if it's still for sale. But this, this, of course, is a Barrel of Monkeys. And the goal is to link them. And I'm using this here as an illustration of of this business of helping people in need, why would I, what is there about a barrel of monkeys that would perhaps illustrate this? What is it? Uh, Well, how are they helping each other? They're giving each other, yes, ma'am? Huge amount of trust. Now, right? As they reach out, Okay, they're not reaching out. They're plastic. I know, but work with me here. They, they take another one by the hand. And before long, if you're any good, you've got, you've got a whole pile of trusting monkeys. Oh, well, I'll quit or else it'll be a long afternoon. So I'm going to put those away. That's what you do with a barrel of monkeys. 
So I'm, I'm using these to remind us that the gospel, to adorning, adorning the gospel involves meeting practical needs because you're a person too, okay? And you don't know the shoes they walked in. So being kind and helpful. So there's number three. Number four, and verse four, let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Sometimes the word of God leaves us saying, I'm not really sure what you mean. Other times it's so clear, you don't really have to ask. That's a really clear verse, isn't it? Now its applications are many. I put it under the heading of honor marriage, stay away from sexual sin, because that'll sink your boat, your family boat, your personal boat, and sometimes a church boat gets rocked by sexual sin. And so the writer here in talking about adorning the gospel says, honor marriage, whether you're married or whether you're not, you can honor marriage, can't you? By how you speak about, interact with, encourage what you say about marriage. Now, several things, if I may, this is on the back of your, your study notes and a number of things that are not there as well. Marriage, marriage takes a lot of work, doesn't it? And you don't have to say amen. If you're married, your spouse might go, hey, well, what do you mean? I'm a dream to be married to. But marriage, marriage takes a lot of work for everybody. It's a very humbling thing because you realize your own brokenness really, really fast. Your own inability to love like you should, your own impatience, every flaw you have is revealed and stuck on the kitchen table. It is. Marriage does that to us. Um, it, not just to, to one person, does it to all of us. Um, but, but I'm saying this in, in this context. In every generation, God's plan for marriage is assaulted. Uh, at times through history, celibacy has been viewed as better because after all, the only person you can mess up is you. I, I think maybe that's part of it. Uh, there's more. But I mentioned God's boundaries are despised. There's a lot of ways to cross God's boundaries, aren't there? I don't have to enumerate all of them today. But the writer here is saying, you want to adorn the gospel? Well, here's a way. Honor marriage, whether you're married or not. And don't fool around like that. Don't do that. Here's some lists. I mean, you could go right through. Don't do this stuff. Now, second bullet point, honoring marriage is not just about saying no to wrong things, is it? We can all wax eloquent on how people mess up the idea of marriage. But if all you do is talk, you know, kind of talk about people who don't do it right, you just kind of complain, that's really not helpful. You need to show them how it should be done. So this is a call. If you're a Christian, you call you know, yourself a person of, of God. Honor marriage. Marriage came by God's design. We didn't make it up. It's not a human institution. I know today people often talk about it as a human institution. It really isn't. Historically, uh, marriage was designed by God. Before some of the written challenges or, or cultural challenges about marriage, um, I'm glad that our church put into our doctrinal statement a statement about marriage. We didn't make it up. We just took it out of the Bible as a reflection of what the Bible teaches. So if you've read our doctrinal statement, you know there's a paragraph in there that talks about how in the Bible, marriage is between a man and a woman as genetically defined and it's a public thing, and it's done before God, and it's supposed to be permanent. That's God's plan. We didn't make that up. We didn't make it up. We just read it in the Bible and wrote it down. 
Um, that's not to yell at anybody else. It's not to complain about other people. It's to say, we read the Bible, and here's what it says. And we do that over and over again. God help us. God help us in these areas. Um, what did I bring to help us think about marriage? Well, that one's an obvious one. I know, I know. This is an old picture of a wedding. This is Kathy's mom and dad. They're both with the Lord these days. This goes back a long ways. I mean, it's black and white. And man, look at that. Look at that dress. Holy smoke, sister. Wow, that's a deal. I don't, I don't know exactly what year that was, but a while ago. But so, so there, there's a picture that just says, honor, honor God's plan for marriage. I'm going to move this. It's about to fall over. All right? Okay, there's, there's number four. Number five, moving on, verses five and six. Got to keep it moving. So verses five and six says this, keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. So be content. Be content is number five. People will be amazed. You're aware that the point of all advertising is to create in you a need, an awareness of a need that you didn't know you have. How incomplete your life is, how utterly, how utterly bankrupt your life is without having whatever it is for $19.95 a month till Jesus comes. You don't know. So advertisers work on this. Um, look at these cool young people and the amazing fun that they're having. And look at that. You too could have fun like that if you only had this car or this thing or this, I don't know, RV. Look, you're, you could have that much. You'd have friends just like that too. Look at you, man. You're a mess. You need this. So be content. Advertising comes along wanting to create a need. And we all know this kind of thing. But th- this text calls us to have a contented heart. Now, uh, some reminders. The, it doesn't say here, keep your life free from money does it? It doesn't say that. Uh, There have been some down through the years who've said, you know, well, the Bible talks about, you know, money is the root of all evil. Does the Bible ever talk about money as the root of all evil? Well, no. Somebody made that up. It has never said that. It doesn't say it anywhere. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. And somebody, whoever it was, rewrote it and then blamed the Bible for it. Um, Money isn't the root of all evil. Loving money is the root of all sorts of evil, Paul says to Timothy, the text that I give you here. Um, And by the way, you don't have to have much money to love it. In fact, you can be nearly broke and love money more than a person who has a lot of it. Because it's about what's going on in your heart. Some people without a lot love money, eat, drink, and sleep money, long for more on a level that those who have more just give away things freely, don't think about. So this text isn't saying money's bad or having stuff is bad. It says loving, loving those things. So it's a call to a contented, a contented heart, and it's all based or undergirded on how it, whatever, whether, whatever it is you have or don't have, God's presence will care for you. That's what the rest of verse 5 and verse 6 is all about. The Lord is my helper. I'll not be afraid. What can people do to me? Well, they can take my stuff. Um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a little saying. Um, wow. I, 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 wow. I, I read this some years ago. I don't remember who said it. Somebody would look it up and they'll find it. But some guy who got robbed. This is the olden days. Like, you know, riding your horse and some guy jumps out behind a rock and, 
and he, he was robbed. And at the end of the day, he was expressing thankfulness. And he said something like this. I'm thankful today that all they got was my wallet, or my purse, as he said in old English. All they got was my purse. I'm grateful that when they got my purse, they didn't get much. And I'm also grateful that it was I who was robbed, not I who robbed. Oh, isn't that interesting? Yeah, I, that, this stayed with me. I forget who said it, but it was pretty wise. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. A lot to be grateful for today is they took my stuff. I'm so grateful. Wow. Well, content, content. Uh, Lord, help me to be content. What do I have here to help me think about contentment? Well, okay, hiding behind this little game. Uh, this is a money jar. Now, it doesn't look like a money jar because there isn't very much money in it. Um, but this is my, my change jar. You say, well... You haven't put much in? No, actually, I do. I put change in here all year long, but it's September, so I cashed it in in August. That's what I do. Uh, I put change in here, and then when it's vacation time, I cash it in, which is what I did in August, and I got about 50 bucks, and I bought a burger with that. So (laughs) you you know how it is if you travel. Yeah, you and me, burger and a tip. You're kidding. I saved all year for that. No, that's, man, I'm... (laughs) Okay, Um, it's an empty money jar, but it can be a reminder for our purposes today on this table, okay? Don't love money, whether you have a lot or you have a little. Adorning the gospel means that you love Christ more and you trust his provision. And and, and, and your, your hope isn't here, okay? Your hope is never here. How much does it take to be happy How do you answer that? I heard a guy on the radio ask yesterday, how much, does, how much money should I have in order to retire? Yeah, more is always, well, it depends. What do you plan to do when you retire? You're going to buy a, a little tent and sit in a national forest someplace and not have any electricity? Not much. But if you plan to have big stuff and go places and spend a lot of money, maybe a lot. Well, this is just saying contentment, 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 adorn the gospel. Verses 7 and 8. Verses 7 and 8, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I think those two verses go together. Now, I put this under the heading of live at peace with church leaders, um, though I think, and I can't prove it, I think he may be going a different direction than that, but for the obvious part, I think that. He's giving a list of ways that we adorn the gospel. And, I, I, and so he, in remembering your leaders, they've spoken to you the word of God. It's giving a job description for what leaders in a church are supposed to do. They're supposed to speak truth and live truth. That kind of seems the way that reads. And consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. It's supposed to be an example. And as I put here, albeit imperfectly, because that's what all of us are. But teach the truth of God, live it diligently, and certainly a radical idea, and when churches do not live at peace with leaders, when there's a ruckus in a church, it spells trouble. Yeah, some of you remember this game. This is an old box. It's probably worth 50 bucks on YouTube. YouTube? No, no, no. Sorry. Man, when you talk all morning, when you talk all morning, it's a job hazard. Um, eBay, that's what I want. E-ta- it's all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you'd probably get 50 bucks for that on eBay. Thank you, Paula, for bailing me out. Yeah, well, 
trouble. It spells trouble, doesn't it? It spells trouble when there's not peace in a church between leaders and people. Now, I, I want to say this as well. I suspect because of the combining here of verse 7 and verse 17, that perhaps rather here he may have in mind past leaders, maybe now with the Lord, maybe those who planted this church. Maybe he's, maybe he's looking back and saying, remember those who started this place. That's something to think about for us at the 50-year anniversary. Remember your leaders. Remember who started it. Remember those past people who spoke the word of God. Christ is the same. The same for them as he is for you. For you is for them. Remember him. Remember those leaders. Okay, perhaps. And then let me just go to verse 9 very briefly. Don't walk away from, from good doctrine. Uh, which in verse 9, of course, do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. It's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those who devoted, uh, been devo- those, those devoted to them. Okay, a couple of things. Um, I, I mentioned here in front of you, every generation has its share of diverse and strange teachings. Every generation does. And most of it, I say here, resurrected from past generations like stale leftovers in the refrigerator. Okay, that's a graphic way of putting it, but you're going to run home, it's Labor Day, you should clean your refrigerator. But I, the, the Word of God, it's why we preach and teach the Word of God here. I don't want that to fall over, so I'm going to prop this up a little different. Um, it's why we preach the Word of God here. Uh, we don't want to be led astray by, by diverse and strange doctrines. Sometimes... Um, Bible college students or young seminarians will talk to, to one of us who are older and say, you know, they make you study all this church history stuff. I want to get on to practical. And I generally push back kindly there and say, you need to study church history because you need to know that some of the stuff that's coming around nowadays, like, hey, this is an amazing new thing. It'll really help you. Guess what? That's repackaged heresy from the past generation. If you studied your church history, you'd know that. We didn't make that up, and the writer who talked about that didn't make it up either. They just got it out of the garbage can of history and put a new illustration on a new book jacket and sold it to you for 20 bucks. Come on, you should know about that. And God's people sometimes are woefully, sorry folks, woefully naive at the newest, latest thing. This is an amazing help to your Christian life. Oh, it is? Really? I'm not saying there aren't new things that are helpful. I'm just saying we need to have a, a, boy, a, a nose for something that's rotten. And if it came to us repackaged from the garbage can of history, send it back and don't go there. Um, But boy, speakers and TV shows and YouTube people and book writers and so on, yeah, uh uh-huh, all kinds of diverse and strange things. No, 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 no. You stick right with the Word of God, and if it was that amazing and essential for your Christian life, somebody before you might have figured it out right from the Bible and told you about it. So anyway, I just express great caution with that, and I resonate with verse 9. Don't be led astray by diverse and strange teachings. It's good, the writer says, for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. In Romans, 1 Corinthians both, there's some historical stuff that I won't even touch on today beyond these brief comments where people had the idea that if I eat or don't eat certain things, it'll make me a little closer to Jesus or I'll be a little better person uh, if I eat this or don't eat this. And, you know, people make choices on what they're going to eat. No problem. But let me tell you something. It isn't what you eat or don't eat that makes Jesus closer to you, okay? So pick your diet. It's about your diet. It's about your choices. But it's not about getting closer to God, okay? That's not how it works. 
Our hearts, no, hanging on to Jesus. That's how we grow, strengthened by grace. Grace is personified in the person of Jesus in the New Testament, holding on to Christ. So make your choices on food, that's fine. Lord love you, God bless you, and so on. But I'm just saying, you, we, we grow in our faith by being strengthened by grace, holding on to Christ. Don't walk away from good doctrine. Don't get confused by some of those other things, no matter who tells you. So those are seven things that this text gives in rapid-fire form as an application of the teaching about Jesus that's here in the book of Hebrews, adorning the gospel. And he just says, it looks like this. I mean, you got to love each other. And there ought to be some kind of purity in life. And you ought to love other people who are not, who maybe you don't even know yet. You got to help people in need. I mean, what do you think this is all about anyway? So he gives a big list of, of ways in which God's people should adorn the gospel. I'm going to pull this over here. It's not for me to drink. But as we, as we, as we head toward communion, I, I want to say this. All of these elements represent something, Okay. All of them, just there to trigger your mind. In a similar way, communion represents, okay? I say this for all of us who are older, for children among us. Communion represents, the little cracker represents the body of Christ. Jesus said, do this as you remember me, as he broke the matzah that night at, the, at that first communion service, as we would call it, Passover time, I believe. A little cup of juice, it, it, it represents, it points you to the blood of Christ shed for us on the cross. Communion, uh, churches have been doing this for 2,000 years, it teaches the gospel. It's not that there's something inherently cool about the little cracker, like an infusion of grace or something, makes you walk a little taller that week. No, no, it isn't that. But it points your heart toward Christ. It's intended to be something that you do if you know Christ is your Savior, that says, Jesus, I'm holding on to you. I'm remembering you, and I'm trusting you today. So it's just like all of these things have a story behind them. My stories are bad and weak, I know. Communion, pretty solid, because it came from Jesus. Now, I want to remind you of two things Jesus said about water, okay? So in John 4, Jesus was at, the, at a well where you get water, one of those old-fashioned wells with a woman, who was there at midday. Other people draw water in the morning. She was there at midday. She was probably a bit reclusive, probably a social reject. She'd been married five times, living with somebody now that she wasn't married to. So that was all looked down upon in those days. And Jesus talked to her as a Jewish man. He talked to a woman. That was pretty jarring. And he treated her well. He did. And he said to her as she drew water, if you knew who was talking to you, you'd ask him for living water. She said, man, that sounds great. I'd like some of that. Well, she was still thinking about the stuff you drink to quench your thirst. Jesus was talking about something else, talking about something else. He was talking about new life inside. Similarly, Gospel of John chapter 7, toward the end, Jesus is at a large Jewish festival, probably the Feast of Booths, if you think about those things. And there's a moment when he, he shouts out, if anyone is thirsty, come to me and drink. Uh, if, if you come, from your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And he's speaking to people who are thirsty. He doesn't mean like, like you, you need a drink of water. He's speaking of the thirst of the human heart. And he's saying, I'm your answer. Is your heart thirsty? 
Is there a longing in you for, for, man, that awareness? I'm missing something. Jesus would say, come to me. Come to me. I'm the one you're looking for. I'm the one you spent your life looking for. If anyone's thirsty, Jesus said, let him come to me and drink. He uses the analogy of water for the invitation to the gospel. Isn't that interesting? All of these are pictures today. Now, I'd say this. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, never cross that line of faith. You hear, you, you understand, and so on, but you've not come to that place of saying, Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner, and I need a Savior, and I believe that you are the one who died on the cross for my sin. If you've never kind of had that conversation with God, for goodness sakes, why wouldn't you do that today? What's the deal? Why wouldn't you do that now? We're going to pray in a minute. Why wouldn't you at that moment say, Jesus, I believe that you are my Savior. You've died on the cross for my sin. I am trusting you as my Savior. Why wouldn't you do that? Okay? Now, communion is all about people of faith saying, I'm remembering Jesus. He died on the cross for my sin, and I'm holding on to him. And we're going to do that in just a few moments here. But I'm going to pray. Okay? And if, if it's your moment to call out to God and trust Christ as your Savior, do it for goodness sakes. Do it today. Do it today. Do it now. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you so much for your word. Thank you for these pictures that I've att- attempted to, to tie to the text in, a, in maybe a helpful way. But, but Father, I thank you for Jesus. I, I thank you for a mighty Savior the only one who can satisfy the longings of the human heart, the only one who could pay for our sin, the one who did, in fact. And Father, I pray that if there are any in the sound of my voice or listening later who've never crossed that place of faith and said, I trust in Christ as my Savior, that you would do that work of regeneration in their heart, even now, and draw them to yourself. You've been doing that, even through the church ministry here, And I pray that you do it again. Just do it again, Lord. Do it again. Draw people to yourself in genuine faith that they'd be born again. And Father, for all of us, as we take these moments in just a few minutes and remember Jesus, would you just warm our hearts, as Wesley said, with the reality of a Jesus, Savior, who died on the cross for our sin, and remind us again what a joy it is to know we're forgiven. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. As always, we invite those who know Christ as our Savior to share with us in receiving communion. The way we do this these days, due to all the reasons that you know, we have communion stations on two sides and here in the middle. We invite you to serve yourself, as I'll give you direction in just a moment. Take both cups. There's, there's two. It's double cupped. The one on the bottom has a little cracker in it and then the juice. Just come on up on the sides if you'd come down the aisle this way, in the middle if you'd come this way. If you need to serve somebody near you, maybe somebody you don't know might be sitting near you who's mobility impaired, you could serve them or your spouse or someone else. Wonderful. And as always, we leave it to parents to know when their kids are ready to receive communion, when they know Christ and understand the gospel. That's a parent responsibility. Congratulations. You get to do that. So in the family, you work on that yourself. But uh, once you get those elements, if you come to your seat, I'm going to read just one verse, and together um, we'll, we'll remember Jesus. So I invite you to come, if you would.
In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, the Apostle Paul is doing a similar thing to what the writer of Hebrews is doing in chapter 13. That is, after a lot of teaching, he's talking about some very practical things, but he ties it into Jesus. He turns you right back to Christ. So in in the context here in 2 Corinthians of talking about generosity and giving from the heart, he points them to Christ. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. He points them to Christ as their motive, their motivation, their example. Even so, the little cracker you have in your hand points us to the body of Christ broken for us. Bible tells us that he, Jesus, in dying on the cross, paid the price for our sin. All the stuff we shouldn't have done, all the stuff we should have done, but we didn't. Jesus paid for that before God. Wow. A price you and I could not pay. This little cracker points us to that moment in history when Jesus died for us, and we say, thank you, Lord. Let's remember him together. Paul says here, Though Christ was rich, that is, there in the presence of God in heaven, yet for your sake he became poor. He took on flesh all the way to the cross so that you by his poverty might become rich. That is, forgiven by God himself, knowing his presence every day in this life and someday, maybe very soon, to be home with him. All this because Jesus died on the cross for us. We remember his body broken for us. We remember his blood shed for us. Let's remember him as we do this together. And I would like to pray for us, specifically that this coming week we will adorn the gospel by the way we live, by our attitudes and our actions. Would you stand with me, please, as we close in prayer? Father, I thank you so much for your kindness to us in Christ. Thank you for pointing us to Christ. Thank you for allowing us to see and understand through eyes of faith and to believe. We are so grateful. I thank you for this church family, 50 years of Sunset Bible Church, and pray that you would enable us in our day, in this time, with all that's going on around us, to, to adorn the gospel in such a way that people who may not understand or may not want to know necessarily all the details of what we believe, that they would see Christ in us and be drawn by the Spirit of God to him. So do that through us is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.